Phonicle is a podcast devoted to sharing true life stories, both big and small, told by senior citizens. I hope this podcast encourages others to ask senior citizens in their lives to tell more stories, revealing remarkable life experiences. To learn more about Phonicle, visit phonicle.com, P-H-O-N-I-C-L-E.com. I would now like to introduce you to Bob Ball, born 1927 in Independence, Missouri. This recording was made in 2014. Bob's daughter Susan is also included in the recording. During the Civil War, this was my grand, my father's mother, probably. They lived on this farm back in Pike County, Missouri. And during the Civil War, there was a time where on their farm, which I guess was pretty big in those days, I don't know, 200 and some acres, sounds big to me, uh, there was an encampment of Union soldiers, and on the same farm at another part where they really didn't want to find each other was the encampment of uh, Confederate soldiers because you know, Missouri was a divided state. There were both Confederate and Union sympathizers. And uh, at one time, one side or the other, and I don't know whether it was the Union forces or the uh, Confederate forces, they would both get supplies from, you know, this farmhouse, maybe food or other things. My, I wonder what that would be. My several great-grandmothers saw one of them approaching the house while the other one was there getting their supplies and she had to wave the one side off with an apron while uh, the other side was in their house getting supplies. So they end up, I mean, they left peacefully and no... Well, uh, yeah, I don't think they ever, they didn't really want to, you know, I don't think they really wanted to find each other because (laughs) who was anxious to fight? (laughs) Yeah. Who was anxious to get into a battle? I don't know. That uh, farm must have been in the in their family even before the Civil War. First, I'll tell you a little story about uh, my mother. She came from a small town uh, back in eastern Missouri in the vicinity of Hannibal. Now you know about Hannibal where Mark Twain mm-hmm. uh, lived. And she lived in a small town out in the country, maybe 20 or, I don't know, 30 miles from Hannibal. Her dad was a country doctor, my grandpa, who I never really knew, but he was a country doctor. Of course, no one had electricity in those days. And uh, she would tell the story about having to help her daddy amputate a man's leg on the kitchen table at night with coal oil lamps. Was it this table? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't it this table? No, no, let's see. That must have been... Well, she was born in uh, 1896. Oh, I'll say roughly the time of the First World War. Mm -hmm. And nobody had electricity in the country. I mean, if you lived in the country, you didn't have electricity. So she helped her daddy 
So did she uh, help him a lot? I don't know. Uh, you know, I never heard her talk much about that. Except the memorable amputation. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I guess if you amputate a man's leg on the kitchen table, because, of course, there was no hospital. Probably the closest hospital might have been in a town like Hannibal, which might have been 30 miles away or something like that. So, of course, going to a hospital 100 years ago was maybe unheard of or completely, unless you lived in a city. Now, if you lived in a city, that's probably a different situation. Do you ever hear of a mustard plaster? <laughs> you never in your life heard of a mustard plaster? You are not from the South. Oh, well, no. you haven't lived. Well, see... <laughs> Like I, and I, that's true. I'm glad you brought that up, because, like I say, my mother, her father was a country doctor, and so one of their standard remedies for any kind of a respiratory ailment was what you call a mustard plaster. A mustard plaster is like a square piece of muslin cloth, I suppose, that's heated in the oven and permeated with uh, some kind of a mustard mixture. Well, uh, this is an old-time remedy. You know, it's for some kind of a respiratory condition. And you put that on your chest. Well, the heat from all this polis, or whatever you call it, I suppose is supposed to be able to improve your breathing. Well, when I was three years old, I had pneumonia, I guess. Now, I don't remember much about being three years old because few people do. And I don't know how long it stays on your chest, but it stays there quite a long time. But I'll guarantee you, if you never had a mustard plaster, you don't know what discomfort is. But when a mustard plaster is finally taken off your chest, you don't know what relief is. So you never heard of a mustard plaster. <laughs> See, that's hey, you never heard of a mustard. Well, I had to. I think that mom used to do something weird with. Well, she put a mustard plaster. Well, not, on. No, not after your suffering and stuff. Oh God! You and never I complain. <laughs> you never fake sickness, would you? Boy, that would keep you from ever complaining about respiratory problems but and I think a few t now that's a, my earliest memory in life at three years old was mustard plasters now if you were really bad and I don't know how many times this ever happened to me but if you were really bad you got one on your back and your front too and boy, you talk about you talk about hell on earth, but when it's removed, it's probably the greatest feeling. But if you never heard of a mustard plaster, and I, you know, I don't think I don't think it's even thought of today. I mean, I wouldn't think so. It's kind of like leaching; they don't do that much. <laughs> well, I don't know about leaching. It's maybe it doesn't go back quite that far, but. <laughs> I'm sure it goes back a hundred years.
Now, the summer of 1936 was, I guess, maybe one of the hottest and driest summers ever recorded here in this part of the country. And, of course, at that time, no one had air conditioning. Air conditioning, unheard of. Now, I think the first place I recall air conditioning, and I'm not sure it was quite the same as what we call air conditioning, was in movie theaters because they'd have a big banner posted outside say, saying something like, air-cooled. Now, I don't think it said air-conditioned, but it said <laughs> air-cooled. Well, anyway, in the summer of 36, I remember that what my mother would used to do is take a dishpan and put a no, no one had an. No one had an electric. Now I shouldn't say no one had an electric refrigerator because it was probably about the time that they were first being used. We didn't have an electric refrigerator when I was a kid, and uh, she would take a dishpan and put a 25-pound block of ice in it, and put a electric fan on one side of it, and we'd sit around. I don't know who all, but whoever needed to be cooled, we'd sit down in the basement <laughs> and the fan would blow across this block of ice <laughs> and cool people a little bit because it was a terrible year. It was a terrible summer. I remember, see, I would have been nine years old that summer in 36, and, and I uh, would sleep outside on the front porch. Now, our house... And I was lucky as a kid because during the Depression, many people had a really hard time of it. My dad always had a job as a teacher. Now, didn't make much probably, of course, but he always had a job, so we never went hungry. But I will say that during those years, one thing I learned was to clean my plate. No, you still do that. <laughs> now she can tell yeah. you that my whole life I've always, no matter what's on my plate, I clean it. <laughs> but that goes back to the days of the Depression. Now also, I'll say in this same year, 1936, that I'm talking about, when I was nine years old, we took a trip. It was my dad and her sister. And one thing I remember about that trip is out in the desert, cars would have these canvas water bags hung on a, you know, on the outside of the car someplace because uh, as water evaporates, it has it cools. I guess the water inside the the water bag would be cooler than it would have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a long, long trip, and I think we went to the Grand Canyon and on to Phoenix. <laughs> And I'm sure the roads were very bad, and we had a 1934 Plymouth, I know. Was it fun? <laughs> well, I suppose so. I suppose so. My first car when I was in high school was a 1929 Model A Ford. And I owned it with two other guys. I wonder if they're both gone. I know one of Well, anyway, I won't go there, but the first car I had in high, and I was in high school was a 1920 
nine Ford, and that was in the year was probably about forty three. Gee, that was only fourteen years old, and it was a wreck then. And I think we paid thirty five dollars for it. <laughs> the three of us, or thirty six maybe. Did it run? Once in a while, but uh, there was a little old uh, repair shop in this town where I went my last year of high school, a small town in central Missouri, uh, where you could take your car and have it worked on for next to nothing, and <laughs> the guy had no overhead, of course. <laughs> so how'd you decide you got to drive it? Well, it didn't run that often, so that wasn't a problem. Where'd you meet Mom? I met Mom uh, in Columbia, where I was going to the University of Missouri. She was going to Stevens College, or what we used to think of as a upscale place. We met, and I don't know whether you call those a mixer or some kind of a mm -hmm. social evening where you can dance at a Methodist church mm -hmm. there in Columbia, where, you know, there's girls going boys go and you dance and socialize and nothing wrong with it it's just a church activity and mm -hmm. and that's where we met back in uh... <laughs> Sorry. back in uh, 47 I believe let's see <laughs> I wish my memory was better For 40 years I rode a bicycle and I kept a log or a what you might call a diary of it for 40 years of all the miles I rode and I've in 40 years I guess I rode too much I, I logged enough miles to go around the world over seven times so how many what was it 162? 160-some thousand, wasn't it? Yeah, I called BS on it till I saw the log. You want to see the log? Yeah. We used to take long trips, you know. Uh, we'd go up to, uh, go up through Iowa and uh, Illinois and Wisconsin. A lot of times I'd end up, uh, because Wisconsin and up in there, I'd end up in uh, Superior, uh, Duluth, Minnesota and mm -hmm maybe take a bus home from there. I <laughs> <laughs> couldn't take coming back. Oh, don't. Come on. It's <laughs> amazing. I mean, it's well, like the that's, coolest thing. And, and so, like, did you just do this on your own? Did you have buddies you were doing this with? Well, now, when I'd take a trip, I'd... When I'd take a trip, there was a guy I went with most of the time, Frank. Okay. Oh, please. And Frank is the one that we go and have lunch with um, once a month. Once a month we have lunch with Frank, who was a grocery store manager for years. It's a good thing about being an engineer. <laughs> you're, you're orderly. I mean, you call BS on it, but you look at it. You rode 29 straight days. No, no, you ran every day in August, 86. <laughs> 86? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> 
Isn't that neat? Don't you wish you yeah. did that? Yeah. Like in See, it's kind of, it's kind of a, you know, a half-assed diary because you, you write down a little bit of stuff in there that otherwise you would, wouldn't have any record of, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the summer of 82 and that's and uh, I worked over in Norway setting up tra- uh, because that's qu- kind of what I specialized in was uh, setting up programs to train people we set up program a program in Norway to train <laughs> that's just funny see I'd never in my life been on an oil platform but that was our job is to train electricians to work on offshore platforms <laughs> uh, while well, I'd never been on one myself that's we set up programs and her mom came over while I was there I was in the, I was the only in this city in Norway which it was a pretty good sized city but I was staying at this hotel where nobody spoke English I was <laughs> How'd you drink? How'd you get a beer then, Dad? Well, I don't know. Beer were super expensive over there. You know, a beer would cost you something like, and I don't know what the value of money was, but it everything was super expensive. I think a beer would cost you something like seven dollars <laughs> way back in '82. No telling what it cost today. <laughs> And I'm so lucky to have had a wonderful wife, although I wish I'd have been a hell of a lot better husband. But what can you do about that now? You can't turn back the clock very easy, can you? Not too easy. (laughs) I wish I'd been a better husband, but anyway, that's the way crap goes. ¶¶